Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast brought to you by Medterra CBD. You can go to MedterraCBD.com right now and save 15% off every single one of your orders with discount code BigMXRadio15. With us on the line, he is a Big MX Radio repeat offender. He's been on the podcast damn near a dozen times already uh, over the years. Uh, he is a Supercross winner. He's certainly not a complete nobody. He's got a brand new gig down in Texas. Blake Wharton, how's it going? How's it going? It's been a minute. It, it has been a minute. Like uh, we have like a full yeah. uh, comeback at some point with uh, with a, like we we can get into all that. But uh, um, so, what's new and exciting in the world of Blake Wharton? Oh, that's a good question. No, some exciting things down here. I'm uh, back in Dallas, Texas, doing some training. Okay, I've uh, been training on the weekends. Um, you know, and uh, training actually been pretty good right now during these relatively slow times in, turn, in terms of new economics. Um, yes. But I also got a new job at Al Lambs Dallas Honda, so I'm, I'm I'm moving some bikes down there. So you know, I'm selling bikes. So um, it's been good. It's another thing that I can put on the resume and you know add to my experience, and um, something that you know ultimately I feel like it could be pretty good at. So you know, if you're looking for Honda in the area, stop on by and say what's up. No doubt. You uh, also, uh, right now, you've got a little promotion going on. Uh, for those who don't know, um, motocross gear to professional racers, readily available. Pretty much boatloads of stuff getting sent, sent up to your places all the time. Uh, the different teams yep. and, and, and gear all the time that you guys you have. Uh, you went through and, uh, and found some really cool old stuff, uh, of which some of which I'd like to get my hands on. But uh, you got a cool thing going on right now that uh, first person that comes and buy a motorcycle from you is going to get a full set of gear. Uh, I believe it's some Fox stuff back from your. Uh, um, I guess that would have been a couple of years into your uh, your stint. Are you, maybe that yeah. would have been like uh, is that second yeah, or third been, year? I believe. It, yeah, it was. It was eleven. Third year. And I believe to be specific, sorts of things that riders remember quite well. That race, that year was from uh, Houston, um, two thousand eleven, the first round. If okay. I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, so you get three get pairs of gear, four pairs of gear per per race, sometimes two, depending on the depending on the brand, and you can see how it adds up over the years. You know, of course, that's we, insane. We like, like you're talking, like there's people who are listening to this that might have like literally they own three or four sets of gear throughout their entire life. Yeah, like seriously, maybe yeah. not their entire life, but like for for like four four sets of gear, probably good for at least two seasons usually. Sure, for sure, and um, you know, believe it or not, we actually used to get more gear in the amateurs. So I haven't even gone through my amateur uh, gear yet, which is a lot of um, answer. Um, yeah. Back when uh, Big E was over there, Big E is now Yoshimura. Big That's E, right. Kristen. Um, you know, so those were those were our days back in the amateur days. Um, were you an ally you know, guy? Got, you were an ally guy on Suzuki's, right? Yeah, no, I was uh, an ally, an alloy guy um, at the end of '03, um, yeah. right at the very end of '03 and into '04, into '05. Of course, the alloy stand unfortunately was a little shorter than we all would have liked to have seen. The gear was really cool. It um, was cool. They were really cool. Yeah, and I got an alloy. I got an alloy jersey for you. You know, you're more of a nostalgic guy, and you, you know the history a little bit better than most. A lot of kids now who don't even know what alloy is. No, so, yeah, it, it, that was a flash in the pan. But they had some really cool gear, like I, like Sean Hamblin on the. Uh, well, he had it for a couple of years. That was really cool looking stuff. Yeah. And of course, uh, uh, Michael Lessie turned pro in that stuff. Yeah, we had 
Uh, let's see, Michael Essie, I believe Jake Weimer, uh, yep. we had Jared Brown, uh, Kale Wallace, uh, Connor Pearson, Alexa Pearson, uh, uh, who am I missing? No, that was the Pearsons were in answer, my bad. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of those guys were were Alloy, and it was a pretty prestigious little gig back then, and you know, it would be cool if someone resurrected the brand, you know, um, or just pull out a pair of like 04 Alloy and go race Supercross with it. No one would, they would think it's a brand new pair of gear. They wouldn't know what is this, you know. Absolutely. Um, but it's fun. Uh, we've collected a lot of stuff over the years, but now I'm doing some some spring cleaning now that I'm back in Dallas. Uh, and you just don't have enough room for that sort of stuff. And unfortunately, if I let it sit, you know, in improper conditions, that the, the stuff will get eaten up. And, you know, it has a lot of sentimental value to me. But, of course, I'd rather see someone have it that can take care of it. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm putting aside all the stuff that's special to me. And trust you, trust you me, I still got a whole closet of it. So oh, yeah. um, a lot of the helmets and, you know, the boots that Garnet made for me over the years with my name on them. And, you know, um, some special lamp races over the years, some chest protectors that were custom painted for, you know, amateur destinations. And, um, you know, uh, MGM Grand. You know, bike, Loretta bike. Um, yeah, did, did you bike. race that one? Like, did you race the uh, that super mini, like the the U.S. Open one? Was that around around the yeah, same time? No, it was around. I raced it two years. It was okay. Um, 2014 and 15. I won it in, in 12 in uh, 2010. Excuse me. Okay, yeah, yeah okay, that makes sense. Not 10, sorry, it was 2004 and 2005. Yeah, it was 2004 2005. Sorry, long day, long day at the shop. But no yeah, kidding. I won it in 2005. Yeah. There you go. Was what year did uh, what did you did Izzy right race with the the big gold number one on his bike? Is that did you beat him that year or what was that? No, no, we that was oh four, okay. and Izzy won it that year because I think he won it the year before, possibly, and hence the number one or maybe the number one yeah. was from the Reddits. I'm not totally sure, Could be. but um, but yeah, we raced Izzy that first year. Fair enough. Those were hot bikes. Like me, me and my co-host Dave, we always were talking. Oh, we're talking about the Suzuki days, amateurs. Those were some of the coolest looking bikes. Were you on? Were you on Suzuki's then, or were you on KTM's then? Because I know you bounced around a little bit no, at the end no. of your yeah amateur racing career. No, no, we were on yeah. Suzuki's for a good while, and that was Colgress's um, heyday. And he that was the prime for Suzuki. You could say it was at the height of its of its of its you know, of all the Suzuki, what, oh, yeah. Suzuki history, you know, I think Progress was the guy that spearheaded it with the most aggression and he had the most budget, of course. A lot of this was before 2008 when everything then tanked and a lot of his budget got revoked and then they changed figureheads at Suzuki and, you know, money gets reallocated. Um, but Cole had a, had an awesome program. I've, I've spoken to him since. I did a story on um, Suzuki, you know, uh, a year or two ago in Racer X where we kind of cover some of this and no, Suzuki had an awesome program. You know, it was before KTM had really any stake in the game. It was, you know, it was, um, yeah, it was impressive, to say the least. No kidding. I think we could do it. Probably uh, we could do an. Like, we don't have a an hour with you today. I wish we did. Um, we don't have to call you up next week for like a part two or something. Like that we could do an hour on just amateur stuff with you because it, like for those who may not be uh, as much of a motocross nerd as me although if you're a, a, enough of a nerd to be listen, listening to this show you probably do know the archives um you were one of the most highly touted and successful amateur kids um in that little era of of sort of coming through um of course you turned pro i believe the year after trey Kennard. like you're right in around that age yeah. category um like 
what was it like for a guy like yourself? Um, like basically, like you saw the like how the the sport was flourishing in the mm-hmm. the late two thousand, like the like mid two thousands, like where it seems like the the, yeah. the sport couldn't have been at a better place with like the one industry is everything everywhere. It, it, it just seemed like it was cool stuff. Like money was no, almost like money was no object in, at the time, and then all of a sudden the bottom falls out of it, uh, and that's right in the middle of your second, like first or second year pro. Um, what was that like for you? Did you see? Did you start to see like a, a big reduction in uh, in budgets as far as what people were able to give away as far as gear yeah. and yeah, like did you? What was that like for you guys? No, gear was was not necessarily a problem. Um, you get more gear in general as an amateur just because they can give you gear they can't really pay you. Um, right. in the pros, they pay the teams, and so they just give you the gear or they pay you or they give you the gear. Um, the bottom did fall out in 08. Fortunately, I had, like, basically my contract signed to go pro, you know, in, in 2007. Um, you know, like at the late 2007, and, you know, contracts didn't go back to where they were and probably haven't even still. Um, in terms yeah. of a first year guy, um, but but I, at the same time I missed, you know, the second and third contract with it being you know as high as they used to be, where guys could make a million dollars relatively easy, um, you know, and and so I, I missed that you could say the the big money or being on the 450 class at that time, um, but fortunately I was able to find, you know, for good money and do quite well for the first couple of years and get podiums and be a top guy, and so you know. You can do good, but yeah, I know it, it hasn't it hasn't gone back even even still, and you can see companies that kind of have struggled since since with Suzuki, and I think they were selling you know X amounts of of bikes a year, hundred thousand or close, you know some big number, and it and it drops all the way down to thirty thousand a year, and it's and then it's like well that's you know you just you just can't you you can't do the same things anymore, especially when it's a Japanese brand that maybe doesn't have the right guy in charge or they're the you know the president is someone else and they don't necessarily see the validity in amateur racing or professional racing even at that and it changes and all the budget's gone i mean you know at our at our at our prime you know we you know bikes were of no issue in the amateur days you know 20 30 40 bikes um you know as he had he had a show a, a full showroom floor uh, James Stewart had more bikes than they knew what to do with. They had just asked for the bikes, even if they yeah. didn't use them. Uh, but me, me and my brother being two of us, and the fact that I rode 12 classes each day, you know, we had to have that many bikes in, 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 a, in a big trailer, a trailer that had X amount of bikes in stock, mod, open, super many 50 classes. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Between. And, and now if there was electric bikes, I'd have rode that thing too, and the TCR 125. <laughs> and I vintage class too at, at, over there at the at the vintage races did, so, did you ever yeah, race a 65 how, and a 125 in the same day um I probably did uh I could go back and look at some of the old pro circuit series stuff um you know I would have That's done it crazy. even more if I'd have the chance to go back now um but uh it, it was it's good you guys aren't quite as ambidextrous as they used to be because after race you know, we raced 450s, you know, at 14, 15 years old. A lot of kids don't do that anymore. Yeah, it blows um, my mind back in the day. Like, like the the idea, like, the guy's like, oh, like he's, is he ready for a 450? I'm like, 
I'm pretty sure, like even like 250, two stroke or 450. Like Nico Izzy, like he raced a lot of 450s in his last couple of years. I guess you would have as well. Yeah, and I 450 at Vegas. I hadn't even rode it before, and my dad signs me up for the 450 class. I don't even have a 450. This is at Vegas in 2007, and this yeah. is when I won all those races. I never had rode a 450 before, and it was a four-speed KTM without a linkage. And folks, oh, that's a bad bike. Folks were kind of yeah. Folks were afraid of those things. I loved it. Anything with a four-speed or, or take, give me a three-speed, you know, because yeah. I just want to ride it around and then third and fourth gear because I'm a lugger. And so mm-hmm. I hopped on it, had one or two practices, went out in the first moto, got a fourth, and then just basically won every moto after that. And um, I loved the bike, you know, and uh, that was my 450 sprint. Just, you know, um, that was, you know, just how it went. So we didn't we didn't necessarily plan it. It was just something my dad felt. I ended up winning five championships there and winning a lot of classes, riding in a lot of classes, getting a couple seconds and thirds. and. That's ultimately what led to my Geico Honda contract because um, Ziggy and Jeff Myshak noticed me from there, and that's you know the rest is kind of history. Yeah, you make a name for yourself when you you look at the result sheet and you're literally littered all over it. I think I might have to dig out one of my old uh, uh, the pickle or uh, playground magazines. I think you're actually on the cover of one or two of them. Um, like like. Ha- Skipping forward to what you got going on now, how did this uh, this whole deal come come about with you starting to sell bikes, and what kind of transition is that for you? Uh, probably as awkward as this transition is right now, going from Vegas as an amateur to talking about what you're currently doing for a nine to five job. Um, sure, like learning features and benefits, and uh, sort of uh, like just a completely different uh, like atmosphere for you. Well, you know, I have some experience, um, a little bit of experience in sales, having worked uh, in the, the car business and in real estate um, with my dad. That's kind of what I've been doing the last year, but I've recently moved back up here. So I thought, why not try my hand at something that I'm, you know, somewhat familiar with? Um, you know, so I've got other irons in the fire, you know, me, I'm always working on something, but yeah. I figured this would be a good thing, you know, doing training on the side and maybe selling bikes during the day and doing some training during the weekend and um, you know, I know a lot of the, the dealers over here over the years that we've that we've been a chance to get to a lot of good folks over here. Um, we've bought you know three and four bikes and um, where my students have. But um, I hit up Al Lamb at Dallas Honda, and you know he's been around for a long time. Uh, his he's been a dealer here since 1977, so a lot of good build up and rapport with Honda and. I talked to the Honda guys, and they say, yeah, well, Al's your guy. And I talked to Al, and he said, you know, come on in, let's, let's work something out. So basically, that's how it started. I've been here for just four days, so I'm pretty new still. Um, getting the lay of the land. Um, got a CBR600 sold out yesterday, and then today we did a CB300R, which is a bike that I have. It's the naked bike. It's awesome. And then we did a Grom today. So uh, we're, pushing, we're pushing some products, you know, uh, despite the economic challenges we're, we're pushing. Well, there you go. Uh, getting some new experience and uh, and getting some people out on motorcycles. Um, do people walk in and they're like, do they do they know the name? Do they recognize you right away? Or um, it, like, like on the flip side of that, have you ran into a situation where people have no idea who you are? Oh yeah, for sure, plenty, plenty. Um, <laughs> you know, if you know racing, um, then you, you probably know who I am. If you're from Texas. But there's a lot of folks that just ride for fun, and so they don't necessarily know, and they're not necessarily plugged in. They might have been to a Supercross before, 
and they might not have known that they were watching me when I was there. Um, they don't True. know that that was me. Um, and then, but a lot of folks in this area, we are in, you know, Plano, Frisco, you know, Dallas um, area, and there's a lot of street bikes. We do a lot of street bike action over here, side by side. Those are hot units, of course, Groms and monkeys and and uh, ruckuses and mini bikes. Those are those are those are hot. And um, but you know, the moto community likes those as well. So sometimes, yeah, folks come in. They don't they don't have any earthly idea as to what I what I've done or what I used to do. And you know, that I'd like to think that they could take my advice in terms of riding safe and taking things seriously getting a good helmet you know because we know the cost um we just because we didn't race on the road growing up we we know how dangerous it can be um so i try to advise properly and you know I, what i'm going to start doing what i've what I started to do is you know anyone who comes in um and buys a motocross bike you know our first time buyers i want to give them a lesson for free um mm-hmm. just to make sure because i don't want my guys going out there who i've sold to and getting hurt of course that's not good for anybody that's not good for the industry um so and that's not good for the dealership so yeah we're i'm doing what i can and incentivizing what we can i like it man uh passing it along and uh and staying uh staying up in the sport as well um for those who don't know up until recently and including uh you're just still active with it uh, lending a helping hand and training some kids for uh, for Supercross, getting people uh, accustomed to uh, pushing through the jumps and everything uh, they need to uh, eventually stand on the top step of the podium at a Supercross, something that you've done in the past uh, sure. and something that you were preparing to do uh, only maybe, what, 18 months ago, maybe not even, uh, 12 months ago when uh, you last got hurt uh, with a knee injury. Um, what, what was the situation there? Obviously, you've had a couple of different comebacks over the years uh, in in uh, in respects to racing uh, professional supercross. Sure. Uh, what, what was the deal with that? I don't think we actually got an opportunity to chat before uh, you were on injured reserve. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um what it's like it's it's been fun you know my my comeback has kind of been like a, a star wars film there's got to be three parts to it um it's just okay, not okay, exciting okay. enough to have one one film you've got to have you know uh, you got to have more than that but you drag uh, it no, out. unfortunately yeah can you hear me yeah i got you i got you okay um so you know i i came back to racing in 18 had a was doing well uh was with a great team and uh you know a very competitive bike and we had a good program we were with rhino hughes and Things mm-hmm. were working, um, and, and I get to my third round, and I tear my ACL, just a dab in the whoops is all it took, a big nasty rut in the whoops. You lose your balance a little. Um, you set it down, you drop it into the middle of the whoop instead of, the say, the top of it, and with the, the way that the suspension's compressing down on your straight leg, you just basically explode the ACL, um, and that's what happened there. Uh, I was able to finish the race, fortunately, but it was in some brutal brutally painful fashion my knee was trying to come out in the in the whoops those whoops were just brutal and so you know but after that the season was over and unfortunately it put it put me behind um going into the next season because it's a six-month gig and and some and you've seen that with like a guy like Fortner who hurt his knee last uh you know not too long ago and you see yeah. how challenging it can be coming back you're like well that's just not the same guy that I saw last year and well I it's the knee. I mean, you start riding at six months, but it's still brutal. It's a brutal process. And um, also, I lost. Uh, we lost the Ivy Corp racing team um, in 2018. They didn't return, so I had to change gears, get with some different guys, and that takes time. 
Um, mm-hmm. The Honda is a good bike, but you know we didn't really have the testing that I would have liked to have seen, and we didn't have the time necessarily. I wasn't able to get to California, so um, 19 wasn't wasn't what I wanted, and I told myself I wasn't going to do it again if things weren't the way I wanted it. Things went the way that I thought that need to be done. You know, I'm, I'm doing okay. it as a comeback, not not just a return to racing. You know, it's a comeback, meaning I've got to be somewhat competitive. I've got to look what I like what I used to. Or I've got to look somewhat like I used to in, until I get to that place, and that's what I do. That's what I what I wanted to do, and it just wasn't happening. So you know, you have to walk away eventually. You've got to know when. And so for me, I still have my projects with racing. I'm still working in the industry, so to speak, and with riders. And I have my Supercross track, and I get with John Short sometimes, and we talk Supercross and some other guys who want lessons for the Supercross futures and. You know, we're going to be going to some pretty unique places once this whole COVID thing dies down um, to write more stuff with, with Racer X and do some more projects and see if we can't discover motocross in the least, li- you know, least likely of places. Absolutely. You have uh, certainly taken Supercross and Motocross uh, on a global uh, trail uh, to some spots that maybe it wouldn't have otherwise gone. Uh, I know you take a lot of pride in that. Um, so, uh, with that, are, are, can you, can you confidently say that we won't see you, uh, behind the gate of a, uh, a Monster Energy Supercross, uh, for a, any type of foreseeable future? Or have you officially hung up the professional boots or are you still leaving that door open if, uh, if say the, the right team happens to call, uh, and, and they've got some, uh, some plans of doing some testing prior to the season? Well, I mean, you know, it's hard to say, uh, the, the industry has changed in terms of, how they do things, um, kind of what we were talking about before. When I was signed to Geico Honda in 2000, late 2007, that was like the second time that that had been done. Um, Trey Kennard was like the first, and the Geico Honda team was were kind of renegades in that regard, uh, signing guys early. Um, they kind of did an experiment with Josh Grant, kind of bringing him on as a as a rookie, and then they they got Trey a year or two out. They did that with me. And but it wasn't being done then. A lot of people don't know that, like Austin Shute, for example, very fast, very high. Um, he was not even signed his last year at Loretta's uh, yeah. circuit, you know. And now yeah, he's just a team now, green kid. Yeah, he was just a team green kid. But everyone knew he had the goods and he he could get out there. Um, it's just that the things have changed, and now they're signing guys out on six seasons, five. Well, I was a part of that program, so I got to say, well, that's great. I think there's a lot of good that can come from that and giving guys up and coming a chance. The problem is it kind of overlooks and overshadows guys that have maybe been there for five years, or a guy who's been a privateer who's been earning his stripes. Um, because yeah, like a John Short. Stage, like a John Short, for example. John Short, you know, with some of the top uh, outdoor rides he's already had last year on the 450. You know, he in 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 many ways on paper, this is a guy that deserves a close to a factory ride if not a factory ride in the life class um you know to get his chops down in supercross and then you know go from there but they're signing guys that are amateurs coming in and sometimes it pans out right away and sometimes it doesn't now unfortunately this has this has a it's a double-edged sword i mean you can cut you can cut out a nice name for yourself into the pros with a factory ride but you can also uh lose your 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 stock and you cannot produce in the first one or two years and then no one takes a chance on you anymore so no yeah there's uh, there's yeah. i can i can rattle off uh, a ton of kids that they get right 18 months to figure it out and then you never hear their name come across the pa ever again a guy, a guy like sean Cantrell, who um basically just had 
the most dismal 18 months of a supercross or motocross career you can have. And then I, I don't, I think he works construction now. Right. And he probably makes as much money or more than he was when he was racing. Probably. Because, you know, yeah. I mean, you got to start, you got to climb the ladder a bit, but you know, if he's good at it or if he's got a connection there, you know, that's a legit trade. It's just, it's brutal work. It's hard. And, you know, but you know, you know how the pay is in supercross now. It's not great. Um, and he had a factory ride, but he was, he was, a he was a rookie coming in. And like I said, I don't think the pays returned to where it was when I was turning pro. So, you know, he put in a lot of work. I suspect I was watching him and I was you know, seeing these guys and I, and I've kind of seen these guys and some guys struggle and there's a lot of pressure on these guys, you know, and these, and these teams have a lot of pressure from the OEMs and energy drinks and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, my advice to these guys would be very different, you know, than what some of the other people are probably telling them. Um, you know, sometimes it takes time to, to, to grow into your, to your skin, if you will. And, and, you know, these guys aren't at their prime at 17, 18 years old. These guys are no. going to be at their prime at, at 25 and 26. The problem is they'll be burnt out, beat up and, and, and they won't want to do it at that age or they will not make it to that point because no one will give them that chance. So it's, it's, it's something that the industry has, has changed in a radical way. I think they need to go back. I think they need to be a little bit 50, 50, um, to give those guys in Supercross a chance, to give those amateurs a chance, uh, I, I think it needs to be closer to 50 50. Um, but, you know, I'm not working for any of and folks sometimes don't listen. So that's just my two cents, and um, you can do with it what you want, right? Absolutely. I, I'm actually curious as to what kind of uh, uh, advice that a young. Blake Wharton would, or uh, what, uh, like what you'd have, uh, what kind of advice you'd have for yourself uh, coming into um, uh, a pro career? Uh, a couple of national, I believe you turned. Uh, did you do a couple of nationals at the end of 08? Yeah, I did. I and did then, and then, and then, and then, sixty one in 09? Yeah, seven twenty one, oh eight, sixty one in. In 09, I did Millville, I did Southwick, and I did Steel City. So I only hit up three at the end of that, of 08. Okay. Uh, but in regards to advice, my advice would have to go further back. My advice for 2008, 2009, quite possibly, yeah, I'd have advice, of course, of course, on approach and, and maybe relax a little and enjoy it, you know, tweak a couple of things and, and uh, stuff like that. But my advice would have to go further back. You know, I'd have to go back to when I was you know, uh, 11 and 12 and 13 years old. And my advice couldn't be to myself. It would have to be to folks who were running my program at the time. And it just tweaking that and in turn hope that it, that it can, you know, elongate your career and you can do things with a little bit more success and a little bit more foresight. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we live and learn. And so a lot of that stuff is hard to look back. You know, we, I did it, you know, and I did it at a top level and, I was one of the top guys for a long time, and I did some some cool things for you know, in regards to Texas motocross history, um, and cool other little things. And of course, you know, I'm doing things now that I think are also powerful, and you know, have a big future um, as the world continues to grow and and sport continues to grow, and the necessity of sport people come to realize um, is there. So you know, more things on the horizon. You know, I'm not necessarily done, but. You know, you might not see me on the on a starting gate of a Supercross, um, but that doesn't mean I'm not you know I'm not working some you know um, interesting angles. Fair enough. Um, are you still the last uh, last Texas-born rider to uh, to win a Supercross like a super, like a lights class? Yeah, no, I think I think I am, and I think that I'm 
I think I'm the only uh, guy to win a Texas Supercross, not a Texas Round, but a Supercross from Texas, a guy from Texas who's winning a Supercross really? um, in the lights class. I think that that's you know, weird. we've had some top guys, we've had some good guys. That, well, that's the thing. That's the thing that a lot of folks don't, it's a hard question. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to figure out because we've had a lot of talented guys. We have a big state. We have good tracks. We have relatively good weather. We've had Howerton. We've had Wise. We've had we've had a lot of good guys. Um, uh, who else did we have? Uh, Hawthorne. You know, we've mm-hmm. had a lot of good guys in that era, and we've had talent here too. But as far as homegrown Texas guys, I mean, I was born in Houston, and right. um, we just we just kind of we we missed some guys. Um, there were some good guys that coming up after me that that didn't make it. There was some talent. Um, yeah. that didn't make it due to some things. There were some talented guys. K Moore, yeah. he was like he would have won the fifty KJSC fifty challenge back when he was on fifties and Caleb Dowell was another name that was a little older than K that was he won Loretta's and we used to go to his house and Tyler and not Tyler, it was in uh where was his house at? Oh, it's slipping my mind right now. But you know, just talented local guys that they didn't really manifest the way that they, you know, people might have expected. You know, things happened in their lives, and they weren't able to pursue it. So we've had the talent, and we've we've had some good things, but it just hasn't happened yet. Um, you know, a state like Texas, you think would have more championships, and more you would wins think so, and, yeah. And That's more. kind of interesting. But, you know, there, there was a, an era there where there was a couple of kids from Texas, or not Texas, uh, Florida, that won a lot of races. Yeah, well, you know, Florida is, is coming on strong. I think you'll see Florida and Georgia start to take over. California will be a, a distant thought in, in the future at some point with the way things are going. It's just the industry will have to move out of there um, in terms of the expense, in terms of, uh, you know, environmentalists and things, assuming that we still have four strokes going forward. Um, I just don't see how the industry will be able to sustain itself in that area with the prices. Um, and with people, with tracks being shut down, with Milestone and Lake Elsinore, it's just it's 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 going to be it's going to be going out. You know, it's bye bye as the dodo bird. So, you mm. know, whether we go to uh, Texas or Georgia or Florida, it, it's hard to see. You know, it's hard to say. Um, but the industry is going to have to move out at some point. I think. Fair enough. Uh, that's uh, that would be a huge shakeup to uh, to the. The industry in general, but um, it, it moved in there at some point. I, I suppose it could move out as well. Uh, although, like, there's obviously uh, costs incurring with that, but also at the same time, sure. if it's not if, if it's not viable to, to host it there, it's got to move. Um, so, for yourself, working uh, like selling Hondas, um, like I'm curious, this if like because you're not currently affiliated with any. Uh, manufacturer brand. I suppose. I suppose you'd probably put yourself on a Honda uh, based on your current sales uh, salesman position. But if you had to go head to toe, like favorite gear or just like like a sponsor that treated you well, like what would you dress yourself in? Head to toe, boots, pants, helmet, gloves, goggles. If like since you don't have any affiliation, because you base you wore almost everybody. You wore Oakley at some point. You wore uh, sure. I think you when you first came into into the pros, you were a showy guy for a while. Um, right. And then of course you wore Fox Answer. What what what's Blake Wharton wearing head to toe? Since you you've you, you've been around, you you know who's got what. Well, uh, uh, that's another thing. Is a lot of the gear companies that I was was wearing. You know, I look back and I go. 
they're not even around anymore. So, you know, one industry is alloy, no fear. I have all this gear and, you know, it's awesome. You know, I think it would be cool to just show up to a Supercross in some old school no fear gear. Yeah, um, yeah, but, yeah, you were you know, a no fear kid right before, like in like the... Right, right. Oh, yeah, 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 my in like first, 04. My, my first, my first oh, year uh, yeah. at the Geico Honda team was, we were on, uh, we were on no fear. And That's then we right. switched to Fox. Um, you know, Were you on the team with the Billy Leninovich? No, no. Billy was before my time. I think he left a year or two right. before me, and then okay. he was on KTM or something like this. I don't, I don't remember racing Billy. He probably uh, got Billy canned ever. in favor of you. Actually, is what happened. Well, I don't know. Yeah, something. I'm trying to think who was there. It was Weimer. Weimer was there my first year. Yeah, uh, my first three races. Uh, Grant was there. Yep. Um, Trey Kennard would have been there, and let's see. Uh oh. Okay, no. 70, 73 was Weimer. Who number Grant. twenty? Twenty was Grant. We got we got Van uh, Reardon in oh nine. We got him. Um, yep. So he was he joined, but in oh eight, I'm trying to think. Grant left. He went to the four fifty. He went to Joe Gibbs that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Weimer went to Pro Circuit that year. We had Trey. He was probably hurt, if I'm not mistaken. Um. But you guys I, wore I that. The there's this like butt ugly houndstooth gray. Uh, some people loved it. Some people hated it. Uh, no fear stuff. I never liked it. Okay, I have I have those that that those pants at the house right now. I can't find any jerseys. Problem is, you get jerseys <laughs> away over the years, and you end up with yeah. all pants and the wardrobe. But no, there's been a lot of good companies that I've been affiliated with. Of okay. course, I I like six D uh, in terms of helmet. I think it's the you know, it's it's the mo- most technologically advanced to date, um, and I've gotten to know Bob Weber over there over the years, and, and he's a good guy. And those guys, it's a you know, it's a smaller company, but it's growing. And I don't think you can compl- I don't think you can, can compromise in terms of helmet safety. You know, it's it's a it's a dangerous sport regardless, and there's just a certain amount that I don't think we can we can stop at this point. But there is a certain amount that I think we can, and you have to have a quality helmet, just like anything else. Um, that you have to have a quality machinery, a quality gear, this and that. Like I said, the Fox aesthetic is, is awesome. You know, Pete Fox has done a great job and the Fox folks over the years, you, you really you really can't you really can't beat that aesthetic. It's like a Rolex. You, you can look at some O six stuff and you're like, well this stuff is still just as good looking and it doesn't look old. Yep. Um, you know, of course I like the alloy stuff. It was short lived, but I really did like the alloy. Um, one Industries has kind of a cool spot as well because, you know, it didn't start it out didn't start out as a gear company to my knowledge um and i still have a lot of that gear and i really liked our setup in you know 2012 and we had that that those two setups and we had some kind of cool stuff that they did of course have some old kidney belts no one even knows what those are these days and yeah so those collector items um we were at our booth before they were tcx um that's right really like that yeah that was cool that was um was kind of a unique thing of course we had a good relationship with garnet did you remember um, Barracks boots when RC uh, wore yeah. those? Yeah, I don't have any experience with those. I know those were kind oh, of short-lived yeah. as well. Super short. I don't um, think they were around for more than two years. No, and they were like made out of kangaroo skin or something. That was at least the rumor going around town. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's some good companies out there. There's some good folks. And I kept in touch with some of them. And actually, today I just ran into Craig Martin, who is a rep at Western Power Sports. And um, okay. Craig Martin yep. was my was my team green guy back in when I was on 60s and 85 and um, you know Craig was there he did a good job and so we chatted a little bit today and 
back when 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 Ukraine was in full swing. I suspect that they still are in many ways, but you know, back when the economy was supporting it a little bit easier. And, and um, so, you know, if I had to put myself in one one setup, it's <laughs> it's it's hard to say. I mean, uh, you know, my my best year in amateurs was you know 2007 and and then maybe 2006 as well. That was Suzuki. That was. KTM, we were probably one of the only guys sponsored by Arai for a long time back then. No one yep. was sponsored by Arai. They didn't give out helmets. It was very, very tight, tight, uh, you know, hard to come by product, you could say. Um, so that was cool, you know, and I've had some, you know, some cool little sponsors here and there. You know, I had uh, a little uh, sponsorship by Schecter Guitars my last year, just last year, and EMG pickups and. So I still have some contacts there and some affiliation. Of course, I wanted to do more on the music side with, with my racing because I think that those two, you know, they mix so well. But, the, you know, the industries are just not quite cross-pollinated yet, you know, and uh, it's just not to that point. But um, I... Like, I mean, how, how have you not ridden for the, uh, for, like, the Rockwell Yamaha guys? Like, they're literally sponsored by, uh, uh, like, a, is, is it... Um, Nuclear Blast Records? It's a record company. Sure, sure. No, and I talked to Ryan Clark. Um, you know, Ryan Clark's a, yeah. He's a friend of mine, and I used to go to his track in Arizona whenever I was racing on the West Coast in 2010. Me and Ryan did some riding. Right. Um, we talked about that, you know, and it's just the bike wasn't there at that time. But they weren't right. Yeah, no, I, did, you did, did. Didn't you ride the bike? You ride the yeah, bike, I rode right? the bike. I, I did. I rode the bike, and and you know the 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 setup and the logistics weren't there at that time. They might mm. be closer now. Yeah, um, who I knows? think the Yamaha the, was was a was a good move for them, and and of course nu- Nuclear Blast was cool. I, I spoke to someone there, some guys over there. We could have done some stuff, but um, it just it just didn't work out. You know, it didn't pan out. Um, a lot of the yeah, they did have. have awesome. I, yeah, they had, they had a, a really tough year that year with uh, was it Mitchell? He's in GP right now. Mitchell Harris, yeah, that 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 was the year that I think that was the because uh, I remember their Chris Elliott, their general, their manager, talking to me about you all the time that year, and I'm like, you guys can't keep the bike together, so I don't think like, that was a tough year. Yeah, so I, yeah, yeah no, it, it, it was a tough year, and they've they've gotten has better tough since. Yeah, yeah, and everyone has tough times, and when these teams only have X amount of dollars to go racing, it's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. And that's no that's no slight towards sponsors. It's it's kind of uh, you know more of a slight towards the industry and how it's been governed and and of course the overall American economy, which you know can improve can improve. But um, yeah, there's changes that could be made that could help everyone. As you know, I don't need to go into that, but it's, of course, um, it is what it is for now. And you know, teams I think are doing the best they can with little budget. Ultimately, there's no B team out there. Um, Mm-hmm. It's eight teams with seven million, or you're a C team, unfortunately, with a couple hundred thousand, and those yeah. two just can't compete. In real reality, they can't compete. Um, no, yeah. The Corp team was 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 a legitimate B effort, um, and I don't rate their effort as B, but in terms of, of of you know what you would classify the team at in terms of budget, you know you could say that that was a legitimate effort, and that's why they, you know, the bike was so good, and they had a, a really good program. They just had their expectations a little high, maybe too soon. Um, this is not an easy gig. You're not going to break into this overnight. And in, in reality, you're not going to probably break in at all. Um, so you have to, you know, run things, you know, a certain way. And 
and uh, it's not easy. You know, if you want to make a million bucks in motocross, you spend two. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a great. That's not a great economic template. That's not a great no. financial template. That's why guys who have real money don't really get involved with this sport. No, um, and that's exactly. why sponsors eventually leave because it's there's been things that have ran them off and scared them off. You know, our our, our biggest baddest sponsors probably been Geico, and that's because Ziggy and Jeff and everyone over there do such a fantastic job representing the brand. They've been able to keep True. Geico. But if they ran a Mickey Mouse operation, then what would have happened is they'd have stayed one or two years and they'd be gone just like everybody else. Yeah. But, you know, we've had a manufacturer in the world sponsor the sport or teams and then for some reason they disappear. You know, and, and we've had, fortunately, we've had the energy drinks that things align so well with extreme sports. They've been able to carry, really, most teams for the last how many years since their conception. Without them, where would we be? I don't necessarily want to ask that question because I don't think it would be great because you can't expect the OEMs to carry yeah, no, I totally agree. workload all by themselves when they're not even making money off of motorcycles. So how how do you expect the OEMs to go pay seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars a year on a on a factory program when they're not even making money off of those motorcycle sales? It's just for advertisement. Yeah, so well, I totally that, agree. Yeah, yeah, we're lucky that the OEMs are doing what they're doing and that we've had KTM that's been so forward-thinking and they've been really the only ones that have been able to grow and buy those other brands and put some stake into the game. We need more European, we need more European OEMs. That's a must. That's the first thing that's got to change with the homologation ah, homologa- rule. It's yep. bogus. Um, it's bogus. It's, it's Banana Republic. Um, it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just not realistic. It's not feasible. You can't expect these guys with these smaller budgets over there but they make a really high-quality product to come over here and overnight sell 500 units. You try to sell 500 units without any any sort of uh, advertising. You try to sell those. Oh, good yeah, luck. good luck. That's and, that's 10 know, bikes and, in and, every and, single state. That's and, and, with, and, no, with no, like, yeah, with no hype around it. And no hype around it and no, and no dealerships and... And they have uh, they have some rules where they they give you one free year rule. That's that's bogus. Uh, you need mm-hmm. more time than that. And you've seen that with Cannondale. You've seen that with Alta. And they've played yep. around with these guys, and these guys don't last. And Alta has to has to, they can't fully develop the way that they want. And those guys wanted to, to be in racing, and they jacked them around enough at the front door that ultimately they said, "Well, this is a waste of time." And then unfortunately, they had what happened happened with uh, Harley Davidson or whatever that was and that was just a bad deal altogether but it's not a it's not an easy gig to crack and uh, you know but there's certainly a lot more that needs to be done and um, we have no union we have no representation no. we have no voice ultimately it's visualized sport unfortunately guys can't even be in the same room with each other we're highly competitive um, you know and that's that's our downfall as well our age and our competitiveness um that we can't come together and, and you know unify in some sort of way for the better of everyone in, in the sport. But that's another that's another uh, podcast, I suspect. Oh yeah, I think I, I was about to say uh, we do have to cut this thing short. Uh, but like like your your comeback, this this podcast may have two, three, four parts uh, in and of itself. We could just sort of like uh, like pull topics out of a hat randomly and, and turn that into an hour-long podcast uh blake wharton here on the big mx radio podcast 
uh, one of my favorite interviews, one of my favorite guests to have on the show. You you always give me uh, 10 other things that I want to chat with you about. So maybe I have to call you up in about a week from now when you've, uh, when you've um, sold uh, another half dozen uh, motorcycles between then and now. Um, but this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you kind of going down memory lane with us a little bit. There's a couple of things we still got to get to. Sure. Uh, but we, that just means we've set the pins up to knock them down again once we get back on a phone call um, sure. whenever you happen to have some time for me. Sounds good. No, let me know. Um, I'm available, you know, after work. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk it up. Awesome, my friend. Well, I really appreciate the time. Uh, don't hang up just yet, for, but for podcast sake, let's cut it off right there.